0: Welcome to the Ritual House podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Lipovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Welcome home, home. (laughs) Sorry, I I watched E.T. with my kids recently and what a good movie, really recommend it. Okay, it's been a week. It's been a week of vulnerability for me and uh, it sort of is mirrored outside in sunny Los Angeles where we have had lots of rain. I have just been feeling my feelings, which I share is really important as a, as a facilitator, as a rabbi, as a spiritual counselor. I'm like, yep, feel those feelings, contain them. Like give yourself a container for them and do it. And sometimes I need to take my own medicine. And so I did that. I did that. I created a little ritual for myself, um, which I'll share at the end of this episode. This episode, there are so many things that I really loved about it. I have um, Reverend Brianna Lynn on here, who is just a brilliant thinker, orator, priestess, human. There's so many things about her that are pretty special. We connected during the pandemic on social media. And I was immediately struck by Reverend Brianna Lynn's candor. I, I felt like she just like really brought herself as a spiritual leader into whatever she was saying. Like She just like brought her vulnerable self to whatever she was sharing with people. And also just she was thinking so differently about things than, than I do. And I'm drawn to that. Like I, I'm drawn to people that think differently than than I do. Because I'm here, I mean, I think we all are as like humans to sort of learn on this like path of life that we've decided to be part of. And I'm really grateful for her teachings because they've taught me how to think a little differently. And so, I've been like a fangirl from afar, and there there was a moment that was like that was challenging for me when she was on. And I and I named it in the moment in the conversation, which was it was just tricky. It was a tricky moment for me because on one hand, I want to welcome everyone in with full embrace, welcome to my ritual house, to our ritual house, welcome home. And like she said a statement that had a little impact on me. And so I, you know, shared in the moment why it did, but I want to give a little bit more context as to like why it had impact. I do not believe that Rembrandt had any desire to create any conflict at all. I actually think she was, she was not doing anything consciously, intentionally bad at all. And I, I also think that sometimes, There's language that we just sort of take in in our world that can be harmful without like knowing it. Chosen people. So that's what Reverend Brianna Lynn says. She alludes to chosenness. There's no real people that are like, Chosen. So there is this notion that comes from the Hebrew Bible that the Jews are God's chosen people. It comes from a time in our history when we were a full ethno religion. This particular way of thinking about a relationship between a God and God's people comes from the ancient Near East, which is a context in which a people group had their own gods that they worshiped and had a special relationship with. It was insular. People were insular. They were in their own island. When Christianity branched off from Judaism, it lowered the barrier to entry, meaning instead of having to be born Jewish or go through a process of conversion to Judaism, to be part of God's people at that time, to be Christian, one only needed to profess a belief in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For this reason, the ethnic concept of the chosen people was one that early Christians felt a strong need to dispute. And over time, what had been like a heated sibling rivalry between Judaism and Christianity, it transformed into a really toxic relationship. The persistent presence of Jews in the world posed a theological problem for Christians. And in response, they like consciously developed an entire literature denigrating Jewish identity, which then combined with the political power that came to the church led to the persecution of Jews. Sidebar, there's been a lot of like beautiful repair on this by. Heads of church, etc., over the years. But this is this is this is the truth of the history. So I'm going to continue. The idea of the chosen people featured prominently in Christianity's anti-Jewish campaign. Over time, a twisted version of the original concept, one in which Jews saw themselves as superior to all other peoples, took root and became a common lane of attack against Jews by modern anti-Semites. Reading the Bible to understand Judaism is a little like reading King Lear to understand the HBO series Succession. Highly recommend the show. It's relevant, but in a very complicated way. The Jewish tradition is 3,000 years old, and it contains a multiplicity of opinions on every topic imaginable and more opinions on those. As with everything in Judaism, the real answer is, it depends on who you ask. There are many different interpretations of the idea of the chosen people, and none is authoritative. And here's the kicker. In the real world of lived Jewish experience, especially today, (laughs) the only time Jews ever—I should say all Jews—but a good, good portion, great majority portion of Jews ever think about the idea of the chosen people— is when they are confronted with a distorted, anti-Semitic version of it that's just hinted at, really, usually today. And for a majority of Jews, it's just not something that animates our spiritual and religious lives in any way. I actually think there's some Jews that don't even know about this, like, concept. And so when... It's mentioned just in passing, that is the lineage that it holds and what I felt in the moment. And so I wanted to give a little context as to why I felt that, you know, so it wasn't just out of nowhere and why it was tricky for me to also bring it up. And now I want to move to like what I loved about the episode, because that's not the full episode. I just think context is really important for things like this. The full episode was so rich and beautiful and took us on a like wild ride of like, different experiences, vulnerable experiences of our own lives, of her life, of of how she frames things in such amazing ways, how we're living through a time that we're rebuilding. And she has a whole name and theory as to what this new time is going to be. And I'm super grateful for her wisdom. And so I, I like hold all the things and excited for you to listen. And without further ado, Reverend Brianna Lynn. Welcome to The Ritual House, Reverend Brianna Lynn. I am so excited to introduce this guest. She is the executive director of the Earth Temple Rights of Reparenting mentor and speaker. Reverend Brianna Lynn is on a mission to bring more radical aliveness, deviance, and a return to Earth wisdom rights of reparenting into this world. She has unrelenting passion for authenticity equality, learning, and deepening our connection to life, to nature, and to the great mystery. She is an accomplice to the liberation of all beings, anti-racism work, decolonization in personal and community practices, and deconstructing the patriarchy in every facet of life. Her current contributions include inspirational public speaking, one-on-one mentorship, large group facilitation, and nature quests. She offers a one-on-one year-long rites of reparenting mentorship for those wanting a support in personal, professional, and their place in systemic liberation. She also has developed a safe, liberating, inclusive, and practical spiritual and social justice community space for rites of passage, self-reparenting, and space holder training in the mystery school that she actually started. There is so much more to share about Reverend Brianna Lynn. I want to just share my own take on her from knowing her a little bit, but just a teeny little bit. I started following her during the pandemic and was immediately moved by what she was sharing even though I didn't actually always understand it if I'm being honest initially in the in the initial listening. But what I was so moved by was her passion, her vulnerability, and her ability to speak of truths, multiple truths that were happening to her in her own life, but that we were all experiencing in our lives in the collective. I DM'd her because I was so moved to, and I don't do that that often, but I was, and We were trying to connect, it didn't work, life is busy. And then we ran into each other in Pacific Palisades. And it was for me this really important moment and step on my own journey of spiritual liberation and also even starting this podcast. Like it was like this sign for me, like seeing you. It was like, oh, it's Reverend Brianna Lynn. I'm supposed to do do things with her. I don't know what. Like, and it was it was so healing. And I just want the guests to know how you have a lot of lived experience that is pain that you sh- you showcase, that you have turned your pain into sources of liberation for yourself and for others. And it's really remarkable. And in a world that we are needing so much more deconstruction and reconstruction, I think that your spiritual leadership is imperative to that process for all of us. And so I'm just really glad to have you and
1: have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And for reaching out and yeah, to, to stand in, in the paradox together that there are multiple truths of things happening all the time. And to meet in a place of care and ritual for me is the most holy thing that we can do, right? Like a return to our wholeness, a return to our true humanity. So I'm grateful to be here and be in this conversation with you.
0: Thank you. I forgot to say one thing. Your TED Talk's amazing. You don't have that on your bio.
1: Mm, Thanks. Yeah, TED um, refused to publish it. So I've had some... Varied feelings about oh. it. Um, two reasons. One, I mentioned sexual assaults, which they, they I was told that I wasn't supposed to do. And then I also mentioned the Earth temple, the the temple, the church that it's a nature-based indigenous church that I started. And uh, they determined that I was endorsing a brand by naming the church. And I felt I went back and forth with the Ted organization. For a couple of months to petition to have my TEDx talk published on their site and when they basically told me that speaking about sexual assault and speaking about this nature-based indigenous church was outside the scope of their rules Um, I kind of told them to fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) um, Thank you for saying that. I have a lot of mixed feelings about TED as an organization. I've learned so much from what they've created and starting to see how women are still silenced and siloed by what they're creating. Mm. And that I think it's important. For those of us who are finding spirituality from the trees and finding spirituality by reconnecting to our indigenous ways, not just lineages that are handed down, but by literally listening to something deeper than humans, Mm -hmm. um, to be silenced in that way because uh, the spirituality that I practice is very different than anything that I've seen in in especially the patriarchal hand me down traditions and to feel that kind of discrimination from this organization was frustrating to say the least and also deeply I deeply understand it like that's the kind of discrimination I navigate pretty much everywhere I mm. go And I'm learning to not take it personally. It's it's not personal. It's systemic, systemic, right? We're working within systems of oppression Mm -hmm. that deeply depend on patriarchal, colonizer, white supremacist models that say, if you have momentum, if you have other people that back you, if you have money, if you have these accolades, then you're real. And if you don't, then you're not real. And... It's, it's been one of the greatest learnings in my life to to redefine reality based on my experience and a community of women, grandmothers, non-binary people, uh, women of color, um, to, to receive reflection from those who I trust deeply rather than the systems of patriarchy that say you're legitimacy depends on the letters after your name your legitimacy depends on how much money you have in your bank account your legitimacy depends on how many people are following you and finding legitimacy in a deeper sacred sensual experience is very scary and and also I think why I'm here (laughs) it brings me to that edge every time And,
0: and you seem to meet that edge a lot from following you like you for instance, right, this is a great example, Ted, right? That's, I don't know if that's the dream, but at least in my head, hey, it's like on the list, right, of things. And that's there. And then you see it. And what is it? And then what do you do when you see it? Do you, you know, take that and try to use it to one's advantage to also make sure that what you have to say is super important. And so using those systems, sometimes at least historically has been the only way to do it, right? Or I don't know if it's the only way, but it's one of the few ways, right? But you haven't done that. That's not who you are. It's not what you've done. I have so many questions to what you just shared. And I'm also supposed to follow some sort of script, meaning that I created arbitrarily (laughs) in my brain before we met. So I'm like, what do I do? Um, I'm going to ask you my question. And then I actually want to follow up on something you said, because I think there's something really rich here. ritually speaking, I'll just go there. When you were talking about women or matriarchal anti-patriarchy. Tell me if I'm saying any wrong language. You'll correct me. When you were talking about that, do you feel a movement of that happening? Or do you feel like it's you on your island, me on my island, us all doing sort of some sort of work that's deconstructing things right now? Or do you feel like there's a movement of us collectively working together to build something quite different than... What has existed?
1: It's a both and. There are times where I feel really fucking alone and I'm like, am I the only one? Um, And it's a big reason why I started Orgasmic Oracle Mystery School. And that name specifically, like Orgasmic Oracle, is a gatekeeper for a lot of people because they're like, oh, she's going to talk about sex. And I don't talk about sex, apparently. Um, Yeah. Right? So orgasmic is that radical aliveness that my life has thrown me into and I'm now meeting with choice. It's that edge of life and death it's it's the celtic so my indigenous lineage rests mostly in celtic traditions and they believe that life and death is the same energy hmm. And so orgasm is literally that initiation of life, and it's a reconciliation that we are living and dying in every moment, and it's learning how to meet that. It's learning how to be in the mystery. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going. We don't know why we're here. And the mythologies that we create about that storyline determines how we treat each other as humanity. Hmm. And so many of our mythologies are otherizing. So many of our mythologies create a hyper-narcissistic, egoic momentum for a certain group of people. We are the chosen ones. I am special because I do this kind of meditation, or I am special because I was born here, or I am special because I have this kind of skin, or because I have this kind of religion, or because I have this amount of money. In the deep mysteries, it returns to the equality of life and death, like we all meet at life and death, and that is ultimately what we are. We are just these living, breathing, dying creatures, and our life's work, the purpose of every human being on this planet in the mystery lineage is to enjoy the planet and leave her better than we found it. That we actually find the greatest joy, not by making money, not by becoming a great spiritual or political leader, not by proving to our mommy, daddy that we're good enough, but by serving as many people and beings, animal, plants, microbiomes, as possible, that our greatest joy is actually found in creating joy for others. And so the mystery school, orgasmic means I'm I'm leaning into that life-death principle. Oracle means I came here as a messenger. I came here as a bridge from what we have now, which is systems of oppression and otherizing, to systems of collaboration and mothering and refathering and reigniting the hope of the inner child, that an oracle is someone who's learning how to bridge that conversation, that we need to get really comfortable with our GPS of like the current location, naming systems of oppression, naming racism, naming genocide, naming inequality, and also naming the world that we would like to live in. And then our spiritual work, our businesses, our families, our educational systems, how do we construct systems of bridging rather than Systems that rely on our freedom and privilege is built on the backs of oppression of other people. And so, orgasmic oracle literally means I live on that edge of radical aliveness. With my eyes wide open to the mystery of life and death, I understand that my life's purpose is to enjoy the planet leave her better than I found it and somehow build a bridge between what we currently have and the dream of my inner child, the dream that we all came onto this planet with, which is like, I just want to play with all the other kids, right? Like, I just want to be safe everywhere I walk. I want to be able to walk the planet and be safe everywhere I walk. I want to be free everywhere I walk safety and freedom. That's where we want to get to. And then the mystery school is the training ground. It's a coven. It's a community. It's a circle. It's a council. We have women, non-binaries and men in the space. It's led by the feminine, myself and a few other women who identify in the feminine sense to help balance out. But we don't negate the need for men slash masculine slash that energy of freedom, Mm. integrity and protection. We need that just as much and so a lot of the work right now is remothering that that inner safety nurturing unconditional love Refathering that inner protection, freedom, and integrity to protect the inner child of our hope and dream. We've had matriarchy about thirty thousand years, patriarchy for about forty five hundred years, and I'm naming this next era the era of the child. I love that that returning, returning to the inner child within ourselves, the hopes and dreams that we are all inner children, and we are either traumatized, wounded inner children acting out in violence or we are healing back into our wholeness inner children that are here to play and create with other inner children. And and that's kind of the path of two ways I see right now. People are either acting out of their wounded inner child, or they're learning how to heal and return to the wholeness of their hopes and dreams of the inner child. And so that's Orgasmic Oracle Mystery School. It's it's a playground. It's a training ground. It's a coven community circle council. Uh, We're not doing it perfectly. We're advocates of imperfect action and learning as we build the bridge that kind of builds itself as we walk out on it. Um... And yeah, it's it's a space that I'm wildly inspired by. With over 240 students in there right now, when I tap into that space, I don't feel so alone. Even though I am one of the leaders in the space, I'm constantly inspired by the other council members and by the other oracles that are bringing in their aspects, their four core practices we cover in, in that space. It's the sacred, the sensual, social justice, and silliness as the four most important components of what is spirituality. And each week we're we're diving into one of those core practices of how do we practice the sacred in ritual, in prayer, in spell casting, in our connection to nature, self, other selves, and the world itself. How do we feel that in our body? How do we get into our sensual bodies, into this animal, infinite body, right? This body has been here since before time. No molecule can be ever created nor destroyed. So this body has lived many lifetimes, albeit in different forms. And then social justice is reminding ourselves that all beings are one being. And if one person says, ouch, we want to listen to that. And then silliness is that art place. It's the inner child. It's that place of hope. It's that place where we let go of what we think we can do and start to tap into what does that inner one really want to play in. I do believe the dream of the child is going to lead us through. Grief is going to unite us before love, but the dream of the inner child will get us through these dark times. Um, So that's the drumbeat that that I'm holding in Orgasmic Oracle Mystery School.
0: I love that. The idea of an inner child leading us. Quite profound. And I've been wondering what the next stage is going to be post-patriarchy, you know, as God willing, <laughs> we end up seeing, we end up seeing that in our lifetime. Um, I've been wondering like what that movement would be called, but also like what what it will feel like. Cause I feel like we're in the bleak times of. I don't know, dismantling what once was. And that's a hard time and a hard place to be. And a lot of us like want to pretend like it's fine because that's kind of a natural way to deal with it. It's like, okay, I'll just go to my job. I'll just pick my kids up from school and sign them up for extra math class. Like, you know, like whatever the things are that people need to do. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't do those things, but there's something that's happening that's way beyond underneath that's happening, whether whether we're engaged with it or not. And I think it's important for people to recognize that. I'm actually curious about your journey a little bit. If you can go back to little Reverend Brianna. <laughs> I don't know if you could ever imagine her as a reverend. I don't know. Was there a ritual or is there an early memory of rituals around you that contained you, that held you, that you can remember?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talking to this energy that I knew lived in my heart and body. And at the time I called it God. Um, I was raised evangelical, born again, non-denominational Christian in a a somewhat culty environment. Very nice people, very brainwashed into their own dogma. But the thing that I learned from them that I'm so grateful for from a young age, I was talking to this self that was bigger than myself, that I knew lived in my heart, that I knew lived in every cell of my body, but was also in the trees and was also in the rocks and was also in the everything. And my dad was a farmer, and we had this knowing, like, we prayed to God in the soil. Mm. And we prayed to God in the water when we were sending the water out to water the corn or the s- strawberries. We would pray to that water, wow. right? God in the water, God in the soil, God in this tractor, God. And, and it was much more. And as I got older and learned about animism, I was like, Oh my gosh, my dad didn't even know <laughs> that. He- is practicing animism. My mom works with succulents and with plants and prays to them, talks to them. Mm. You know, she uses the words Jesus and God and much more of that patriarchal and especially in the United States like evangelical can get real um but there was this interesting way that my parents accidentally passed on the knowing that everything is infused with this energy of God and I still use the word God but I've broken down the acronym to mean gratitude, orgasm, and deviance, right? Like gratitude, that which fills me with thankfulness for this life. Orgasm, again, it's that relationship with life and death. It's that shake right before we climax. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And deviance is the path of the most divine is usually the one that not most people are following. Got to deviate got to disrupt we gotta we're here to name something that mm, those who are interested in popularity are going to miss and so that to me has become the meaning of God it's this gratitude orgasm and deviance and to be in alignment with that so that ritual of just okay if I'm walking down the hallway and I'm feeling afraid because the light is out this is a memory from like three or four years old I just pray to this energy and kind of like hold it in my heart as a light that can't be touched yeah yeah you know, or getting to speak up in front of school or uh, spending my first night alone in the woods, or I just remember these times where I called in this energy of God, this infinite life force that has been always will be and is here right now that lives in all things on this planet and beyond is the creator of the universe is the observer of all things and ultimately is also the destroyer right the generator observer destroyer the god and that energy that has always been with me how do i tap into that in the most beautiful in the most dire and the most mundane of moments
0: yeah that's so beautiful and so interesting to think about how faith, I'll just use the word faith, I don't know what to call it, but belief or uh, or like a sense of knowingness, inner knowingness of something beyond or inside, right? In some ways, I wonder, like it's the first time I've ever thought about this, can that actually be taught, right? Because if a child knows that, like it's taught it, And obviously, I'm sure there was dogma and things placed on it, but like just that knowingness. What happens if all children feel that? And maybe children are so natural. I believe my, I mean, my children are just so tapped in in a way that I'm not. But I sometimes I'm reflecting on my own childhood. I was raised with a great amount of communal care, a great amount of. My parents are like really good, solid people, like really doing good for others, like as like a primary motivation. And I learn that from them. But I wasn't explicitly taught Judaism is not explicit today on like, believe, faith. We are like wrestlers, generally speaking, at least in liberal Jewish life, not in more Orthodox Jewish life is different. And I've had to rekindle and reimagine and reconnect to that piece that you just naturally had or were contained in in your childhood and it's it's just so amazing to think about how our childhood could like really inform who we are um and how we walk in the world in such a like pivotal way like belief like just having that oh i'm scared in the middle of the night let me tap into that and i'm i'm trying to teach that to my children but not but like doing it on my own in our own household and i'm figuring it out and I'm just so moved that you had that
1: yeah as you're saying that too can it be taught Possibly. I definitely think faith can be practiced.
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: Right. Like in these I mean, in these times where we're looking at, you know, extreme death supported by the United States funding, whether it's the Democratic Republic of Congo or what's happening in Palestine or the Sudan or Tibet or Armenia, like. Fuck, like my tax dollars are going to support the death of millions of children around the world. When I contemplate something like that, the practice of faith is holding on to the light in my heart, holding on to the light for me. It's a womb in my lower belly and connecting to the light of the sun and the stars and the goodness that I know is in humanity. So it's almost like a meditation practice, right? Anything that we, if you've done a meditation practice, speaking to the listeners here, you know that at the beginning, it's not easy. Your brain wants to go in a million different places. Your body is itchy. All of a sudden you have to pee, you know, to to commit to a practice literally means I'm going to be in this until I reach another place. I think faith is the same of like, I have faith that within every human part is the inner child that ultimately wants all safety and freedom for themselves, other selves, and the world itself. Whether they are the horrible dictators of Iran right now, or the horrible dictator of North Korea, Or the horrible dictator of Russia. These people who, in my opinion, exhibit large amounts of evil. E-V-I-L is living backwards. L-I-V-E-E-V-I-L. And why do we live backwards? We live backwards because of unprocessed trauma. Because of unreconciled grief. And rage that has been stuffed down, not allowed to express itself through ritual and communal witnessing, then comes out sideways in trying to prove to mommy and daddy that you're better than what they saw you as. That my faith in humanity has become a practice of there is no evil as a force or an individual. It's what happens when we're not given space or the tools to process our trauma. So my practice is. Literally imagining or pulling up Google images or being in the social justice conversations and finding humanity in Hamas, finding humanity in Hezbollah, finding humanity in the IDF, finding humanity in the businesses that are exporting coltan and copper from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and finding that inner child through my meditation, and then learning how to speak from that place. Right. That's a practice of faith. It's the only. Right? Like, it's
0: the only way. Loving kindness meditation, in some version of actually doing it. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, it's no, it's, it's beautiful. It's the only way. It's the only way, and we're so distant from that. I mean, you're not, right? Maybe you're in practice of that, but like most of us are distant from even. How can I like even understand EVIL? It's EVIL. That's it. I'm cutting it off, whatever it is. But like the whole point is to get to the L-I-V-E, to your point.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. And this is really beautiful in the sense that the reason why I'm able to touch into EVIL or evil is because I've seen it in myself. Right. I have uh, so much of my work personally and what I share is around grief rage and like the ugliness rituals and leaning into the part in me that wants to destroy the part in me that has vengeance the part in me that wants revenge the part in me that wants to just like rip out the throat of that person that i see as my enemy i have deep rapport with my shadow side i know i have the capacity to kill motherfucker. I know I have the hatred in me to otherize a group of people and blame them for what has happened to my people. I've gotten in deep rapport with that. And that shit is scary. And I wouldn't suggest that people do it alone. Have a therapist, have a trauma-informed coach, or have a space where you can dive deep into this because generational trauma is real. What has happened to my ancestors and what my ancestors have done is real. What my family has done, what I have done in this lifetime from the perspective of patriarchy or white supremacy or being in the country that is the number one oppressor on this planet right now, I've had to reconcile my participation in some really evil shit and continue to do so. Is there, is there a ritual you do to do any of
0: that work, that shadow work, that reckoning with yourself?
1: Yeah, there's several rituals that I have learned, that I've some that I've created and some that I have held space for. And the first one that came through me, it's a conglomeration of different Indigenous practices from around the world. And I really got inspired uh, by it when I was in Scotland and really dove deep into it when I had my own grief explosion of, of learning basically that the person that I had partnered with um, was lying. About everything in his world. Mm. And the grief that I felt could not be processed with words. Like, I was trying to do therapy. I, I just, like, I could not even give language. So what came through me was called breath, sound, movement, touch, BSMT, moving the bullshit mountain is another way, but it's literally using your breath, using your sound, using movement and touch. And I would put on a playlist and literally just breathe, make sounds as loud as I wanted, move my body in whatever way I wanted. And literally physical hands on my body, on the earth in a ritual, I would open it, call in my guides, call in my teachers, call in my intention, do the ritual, and then close it out. And BSMT, I'll give you the link. I have it on YouTube. I have a guided kind of ritual of 20 minutes that I lead people through. And that's my main practice that I share within the mystery school. And then I have a Celtic grief ritual that I teach people of how to give your grief to the trees, how Mm. to work with catharsis, deeper catharsis of using the physical body to actually like get the rage out of your body. Usually what's under rage is high levels of grief and grief is love that has nowhere to go anymore. Mm love that doesn't have a place to be put anymore. And so understanding that our rage and grief, A, is a natural, natural response to injustice and loss. And that no matter how spiritual you get, Um, you're still going to have rage and grief. It's like thinking that at some point as a human, you're not going to shit anymore. Like, (laughs) no, you're still going to go to poop. As long as you're eating, you're going to go poop. That's a good thing. As long as you're witnessing what's happening on the planet, you're going to have rage and grief. Isn't that
0: so funny though? Like as I get older, I'm like, wait, what? I still, wait, what? I was Uh like sobbing this morning, like sobbing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm still, Yes. yes, yes. But you have to find a way i think all of us need to find a way to put that somewhere
1: yeah especially in western culture we've been taught we've been kind of whitewashed literally i call it light supremacy like um the judeo-christian ideology that light is better than darkness that happiness is better than anger this this may i correct you for one second is that okay jewishly because
0: people don't know this and i just like
1: want to give a thing
0: judaism if you really study the text We actually really believe in shadow work, especially in mystical traditions. But even in the plain Mm -hmm. text, we have this idea called Yetzer Hatov, which is good inclinations in ourselves, the light, we'll say. And then Yetzer Hara, which is evil inclinations within us. And there's all these stories of like, what happens when you get rid of that evil inclination? And like every single story is the world fucking stops. It does not exist. Because we have both. We have both of these things. And the whole idea is you have to work with both. But unfortunately, we have totally cut ourselves off from those texts. Like, I didn't learn about them. I've been Jewish my whole life. I didn't learn about them until, like, I found them on my own, right? I I, I wasn't, like, presented them. But, like, I just wanted to, like, share that piece cuz i think it's lost in the z- zeitgeist of things. Yes. I'm trying to figure out what the language is to use about ancestral Judaism. I actually don't know, but i do know that in its inception it was quite different. If you look at certain texts then it then it's been there's still beauty in it. I'm not trying to, you know, say it's all bad. It's not. But there is like a realness to it. A real spiritual tradition that's like in there. And it's totally cut off. And I think that's with probably most traditions, but it gets me so angry because I'm like, it's in there. (laughs) Like we have to deal with it. We have to deal with the shadow and the light. Like that is the deepest, most profound way to live as a spiritual being. That's what we're supposed to do. But we're all cut off from it. Completely.
1: Yes, completely. I fully, I fully agree with you. And even from, you know, the Christian lineage as the small cult that was, you know prosecuted and persecuted by the Romans for a couple hundred years before the Roman Empire usurped Christianity, called it Christianity, (laughs) and then made that it's (laughs) like business, right? And so when it was this small, almost like fringe cult, its focus was on women teachers, right? Like mostly women were the teachers. And their focus was on like, we shouldn't have a centralized power that each one of us has access to God, that we don't need a Pharisee, we don't need a priest, we don't need someone to give us access, we don't need a blood sacrifice of an animal, we literally have God within us. And that whole message was then taken and distributed across the Roman Empire to create a military-industrial complex. So when I say Judeo-Christian, let's call it the Empireization of that of those religions because they were so potent in their mysticism right because they offer this space of unconditionality they offer this space of you get to be human and be loved mm. i believe in the core of what i know of judaism and what i know of mystic christianity is no matter what you do no matter who you be you are loved that's the core and then there's there's different doctrine there's different metaphors they're different mythologies right kind of built on top of that and then you have the military industrial complex dogma that says these are the chosen people or these are the chosen people or these ones have the right answer or these ones have the right answer
0: i feel very strongly when i invite someone into my home they're my guest and so you're you're my guest at my home right now so i'm like wavering of like if I want to like share my reaction or experience to what you said I'm thinking about it because the way I see that business of language of chosen people which is like stated maybe once maybe twice in the text I think and I think it's part of like actually anti-semitic tropes but I can't actually dismantle those because those tropes are so deeply embedded in our systems that I don't know how to respond and how to do that. And we say like this prayer every day, it's the shema, it's like the main prayer. And it basically says, we're all one. Listen, listen, we're all one. That's what it says. That's it. It's what you're supposed to say before you die. It's like, that's what it is. Because that's all it is all it can be no this is
1: a very tender and an important subject of how the beauty of faith and the beauty of tradition and religion can be taken in moments of trauma and manipulated right because when people are in trauma that's when it's the easiest to direct their thing and blame a group of people or blame like this is happening because of this group of people and it's like it's much more nuanced and it's much more there are multiple truths happening at the same time that can seem somewhat paradoxical. And if we can all get on the same side of like, okay, no children deserve to die. No women deserve to be raped, no matter if they're Israeli or Palestinian or Iranian. like, Period. That, okay, we can meet there. Cool. Let's start there. Let's start there. It's not Israel versus Palestine. Let's be very clear. It's never been that it's never been that. There are huge economic interests. There are other governments and people vying for this land, for this area. And for us to remember, we support the children. We support the women. We support the elderly. We support the most vulnerable. We support the most oppressed. Can we meet there? Cool. Let's start there. And what is it in our spiritual traditions that we hold to that is of the beauty and the oneness of humanity? Okay, let's go there. Can we meet in prayer and ritual, starting with the most simple, basic, like the human, humanitarian, what is our humanity? The hummus, right? Like that's the word hummus. And I love, you know, Italian, Mediterranean, the Greek and me, the the Israeli, the Palestinian, we all eat hummus. You know what I mean? And I love that word because it literally means the mud. The humility, the human, like, can we meet in that base space and slow it way down? And remember, like, we, there are no enemies. We're actually not at war with each other. There is a much bigger military-industrial complex that has been using our belief systems as pawns for thousands of years, for thousands of years. And the beauty of all of our belief systems is that oneness. Yeah, that and truth. what I have found that is helpful is like being raised born again Christian. We had this somewhat fascination with with Judaism, and so you know we practiced Yom Kippur and we practiced Whoa. Yom Kippur. Um, Wait, I knew yeah. you guys uh-huh. did
0: not you guys. I knew I know that folks did Passover. Mm-hmm. By the way, Jews are really unhappy about this, just generally. Just so you know.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure they just the Christians have just (laughs) Just, taken things and and been like,
0: "It was Jesus's. We'll use (laughs) it." Appropriation, but whatever. We won't go there. Mm -hmm. But Yom Kippur—that's like a—that's a serious Mm -hmm. one. Okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Serious
1: one. It helped that the Shapiros were like four doors down from (laughs) my family and were Jewish, and like we could practice with them, so it was a little bit different. But there was there was this scene of a beauty in another tradition. And understanding that although it was different than ours, it was equally as impactful for them, right? Equally impactful for you to have these traditions as it was for us to have Easter, to have Christmas, or to have—so to to start to see the equality of like, okay, these are just different cultural expressions or different time capsule expressions of the thing that none of us can name, which is the great mystery, of the thing that is— Within us and greater than us. And the more I've returned to a nature based indigenous. Practice and have left Christianity. And I've studied Baha'i for a while and I got into Buddhism and you know uh, Kabbalah for a little bit and just like dabbled in these other places and started to see: okay, for me, what makes the most sense is continually returning to nature as my teacher, Mm. continually going back to the place, in my opinion, where all religions were born from, which is listening to the trees and listening to the animals, and seeing the mushrooms and me as one organism. Like, there is no separation, even in these sentient beings, that the dirt is also my ancestor, especially being a cultural refugee, right? White presenting in the United States, my indigenous ancestors are Scottish, Irish, Akane, Etruscan Sabines, from the Alps of Italy into Greece, you know, and I don't have a connection to the language, the dance, to the food, in that my mother handed this to me from our lineage. I just, I don't have that. So as a cultural refugee, having to return to something that was more allopathic of what it means to be an indigenous human to this planet has given me a perspective of all religions within them have something of beautiful spiritual and cultural value that is yearning to be seen by those who don't practice it. Like I do believe that the path towards peace has a lot more to do with celebration and unification the child, right? Like oh, I'm fascinated by this. I may not want to practice it. I may not take it on as truth for me, but to honor it in like that fascinating sense rather than oh these people are the ones who've done this thing. Mm. And I see this, the part in me that had to call my grief or my rage or my vengeance evil or Satan or whatever the otherizing thing is, is the part in me that would otherize someone else because of their religion or their belief system. The more I've been able to integrate that rage, that grief, that evil in me and see that that is a reaction to not having a space to where that can actually be digested, the more I've been able to soften to others who have very different belief systems than me. And I'm not saying that I'm right, right? Like to come into a place where it's like, this is what works for me, this is what's right, R-I-T-E. We get to walk the rites of passage from being a wounded inner child into a wise adult. Everyone's trying to do this in their own way, right? Right. And the rites of passage is individual and collective. I don't have to imprint upon you, this is how we need to do it. It needs to be nature-based indigenous. You can let me know like, this is what works for me. and almost seen it more like fascinated children rather than traditional, like, liturgy or traditional theological, theologian, like, that, that, like, oh, discourse that the men get into in those, like, communal. When I see, like, the Christians versus the Muslims versus the Jews in a conversation, I'm just like,
0: you I know, it. and I
1: always say that. I'm like, we're not a
0: monolith. Like, we're not. We're, yeah, we no. are all, like, in here, like, just, like, on our... Not on our own islands. Some of us are on our own islands more than others. But we are finding our own individual pathway. And I, I love that nature yeah. is yours. And it is a little bit mine, too. Although I have, like... It's funny. I have this, like, fear of nature and this, like of nature and it's like for me I always return to the trees and the birds those are my two for some reason they're like my return if I'm like totally dysregulated I'm like find a tree find a bird you're fine I was like stuck in traffic on the 405 yesterday it was so awful I was late I was like cursing I was doing all the things that we do and then I saw birds like right overhead and I was like oh right find the birds that's it you're there, they're there. Hey, saw a little wing, do a little flap. And I was like, you're cool. It's fine, right? And that's it. So I'm with you on it. And I I don't mean to bring this about Judaism, but it's activating me a lot because I'm realizing so much of Judaism is like so earthbound as well and like has been totally cut off. Even Hasidic Judaism that started, you know, 1700s, 1800s, like was literally the idea was we need to get to the trees and just pray with with what's in our on our hearts. What's on our hearts? Mm. Let's be with the trees. What's on our hearts? That's it. But then that was taken at some point to be like whatever Hasidic Judaism is today, right? Which is my lineage and where I come from and um, my dad's side. And it it's quite rigid and dogmatic and like women on this side, men on that side, women do this, men do that, yep. you know, all the things. But in its inception, it was like, Let's commune with the trees and pray with what's on our heart. You don't need to be educated. You don't need to read. You don't You don't need anything. You just need yourself in the trees. I mean, yeah. and that's how all spiritual traditions, I think, start. So how do you start your spiritual tradition or my spiritual tradition or our spiritual tradition today? Because I think that's what's happening and not actually put all the things on top of it, right? Because that's like the dream, right? How do we like collectively find our ways individually doing it and like not do that thing that we always
1: do. Yeah. I think just by starting with conversations like this, of like, there's this thing that we always do and it has to do with usually perceptions of or actual like power, money, and sex, right? When those things start to get perceptions of power, like who's in control and who can tell who, what to do. And money, like where's the money flowing? Who has the money? What's happening with the money? And sex, whether it's like the proliferation of usually a singular man having sex with a lot of people or the restriction of... Sex as a way to control people. When those three things start to be able to be dictated by a small group of people to a large group of people, that's when we see the transference, in my opinion, from mystic spirituality into religious dogma. Mm,
0: That's a good line, I think. It's helpful to have them, right? Like in our, you know, to like notice them. Yeah. When you were talking about Ted earlier, I want to say I did not like witness you in that moment. And I've been like reflecting on it since then. That must have been incredibly painful. And we don't have to go back there, but I want to just say that to you Mm. to not be able to like share about one's sexual assault to be silenced is just awful awful the worst of the worst and i'm
1: sorry that happened to you Mm -hmm. thank you thank you what's wild too is other women have shared about sexual assault but it's because i specifically spoke about it in the context of Ceremony, and that it was an indigenous man who sexually assaulted me in ceremony that they said that they didn't want to bring any more racialized views upon indigenous people. And I I understand that on a certain level, right? Like, there's already, especially in Western culture, this navigation of racism and i didn't I, I i of course don't want to contribute to anything like that and it's true i was sexually assaulted in south america by a man serving me ayahuasca wow like that and and um to to not be able to name that in this forum was just kind of like another Uh, piece in me of like it's really hard for us to navigate nuance right now in our culture there's really this desire of like these are the good people these are the bad people and that's where we're going to stand it's like it's so much more nuanced every single
0: situation we're always like this is the side you're supposed to be on this is not the side and it's always more nuanced like of course like yeah of course that happened to you of course i believe you of course many people believe you you. and that doesn't mean that we can input like oh all indigenous like ayahuasca ceremonial folk are sexual assault like of course not like of no. course not right, right? Like, that's not. that's not at all what I hear, you know, when you share that. And our limitations today are just, they seem even, like, greater than before, but maybe they're not. Maybe there's more opening than I think. But sometimes I think we're, like, even further. And I'm, like, into the idea of us doing all the work that we need to, especially as, like, an individual, individual that is white. Like I, I, Like, I am doing that work, but I feel like there's, like, limitation on what we can talk about. And then that can be really problematic to what needs to be talked about to the essential truth that needs to be talked about my friend who is super huge and anti-racist work a leader in it and he said to me you know off the record at some point I need to remember to have empathy for the folks that are actively and have actively committed racism in their lives like that is like the only work I can do and I'm Feeling like I can't do that anymore. I'm saying like I think that's profound, right? Like that's a perfect because mm-hmm. he's like that is the only that is actually the
1: only way we can do it. Yeah, I I fully agree. You know the the starting to understand that we've all been part of and products of systems of oppression, and that the way that we move forward is starting to be able to see the humanity in everyone. I know everyone. So hard. It's hard really hard especially when we want to otherize and be like it's all white people who are racist or it's all arabs who act this way or it's all chinese people who act this way or it's all mexicans who act this way or it's all jews who act this way or, it's all white women who act this way it's, all, it's just not true it's just not true and that life and the world is much more nuanced than that
0: A thousand percent i could talk to you all day i have like so many like more questions for you. So at some point, I'm just going to make you come back. Great. Because I think that like, I really talk about smashing the patriarchy all the time. And I'm like, you're smashing the patriarchy. You're like living embodied. I think I'm doing it in my own way too, but it's different. And I, I moved by it. My last question for you is actually, is there a ritual that you go to that helps you that can help? others potentially but really what helps you like what do you return to when you need when you need ritual
1: my favorite one is uh, just a good old it's it's been hijacked a little bit and called just catharsis but a celtic grief ritual that i learned is you, you take something stronger than wood so for me it's like a crowbar or a baseball bat and you find a dead down detached tree and you let yourself speak all the ugly things of what you're thinking and feeling as you beat the shit out of that dead, down, detached tree, dead, down, and detached. Let me be very clear. It's a dead, down, and detached tree. And you let it run through your body as though you were actually beating the thing, the person, the idea, the concept, whatever, and go there. And go there. I like being witnessed in it. I like having someone who witnesses me that's very helpful, but you can do it completely on your own too. There's something about getting physical in the body that has been really helpful for me. And then, breath, sound, movement, touch is the other one that if I can't, you know, go into the woods and do my thing, being able to turn on a song and just move my physical body, use sound, use my breath, use my hands to like, and give myself permission to actually feel the feeling, that feeling that I've told myself or I've been told by my culture or society that I shouldn't feel to actually give myself permission to feel it and go through it. Any feeling fully felt is bliss. That's Joseph Campbell. And I can get to that place if I give myself permission to fully feel. Uh, A therapist that I work with says that it takes about 90 seconds for a feeling to complete its cycle. 90 seconds. If I can give myself 90 seconds to actually go into rage, if I don't give myself that 90 seconds, it constantly recycles itself again and again and again. So those would be the two rituals that I'd leave you with. It's just a good old um, dead down detached tree beating and some breath sound movement touch.
0: Yes. You're inspiring me. I got to move my body a little bit. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here for your wisdom for your bravery and vulnerability and you can follow let's let's do the whole thing where where can we find more of you tell us
1: instagram facebook is both at rev brianna lynn one n and then two n's the website is the and if you're interested in the mystery school you can find out about that through any of those veins
0: amazing thank you so much
1: my pleasure thank <laughs> you for having me on
0: I so hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Take all the rituals that she shared. I I really love this idea of chopping wood. And I want to share actually the ritual that I did this week to sort of contain the feelings. It's something I've done many times, but I'll just share it. I created a space and I said, this is your ritual. And I I didn't have a lot of time. I actually only had like 20 minutes. So I put a little timer to make sure that I was on time because I could go into these things for a long time. I actually think time... can be important with ritual because it can contain it and then make it more effective and impactful. I just share that if you're trying on different rituals at home and you're like wondering how to do it, I think one thing is time. That took me a minute to realize as a ritualist. Anyway, put a timer on and I just journaled and cried and journaled and cried. And sometimes when I was journaling, I just wrote out geometric shapes that were coming up for me. The pain and the rage and the vulnerability and the feelings and the sadness and the... All of it. I just like wrote it out. I wrote it in the way that I felt. Like when I was feeling angry and writing something, I was angry. And when I was feeling sad, it was like different. And I allowed myself to do that. I actually timed myself for that for like... I think I gave myself like 10 minutes, but you don't have to do 10 minutes. And when I was done... I allowed myself to just sit with it for a moment and then ripped up the paper really, really consciously. I ripped it up. Now, why rip? In Judaism, we actually believe in our grief. We do a thing called kriya, which means to rip because there's nothing else that's going to heal our broken hearts. And I feel that's true in the grief of life. It doesn't have to just be from loss, although I am feeling the grief of the loss of my friend from recently. But, like, it doesn't have to be about that. But there is something about ripping that we don't do enough. We don't physically, and Reverend Brianna Lynn, like, talks about this. We don't, like, physically do the things that we need to do to get into our bodies. And so rip it up. And I ripped it to really, 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 really small pieces. And then I burnt it what i did you don't have to burn it you could toss out the rips you can put it in water i needed a fire so that's what i did and i like did all my feelings go away no of course not they shouldn't they can't but what the ritual allows for us to do and my and and i get this like feedback a lot from people that come to a ritual that we're co-leading together like meaning not just a wedding or a Or a baby naming, although those are beautiful too and can do this too. But for one that's like, for something that you don't typically ritualize, you know, like someone, you know, surviving a cancer treatment or going through a divorce or whatever. What I I find that people say is the feelings are contained within a moment and they didn't realize that they needed that container. And I think we need to build those containers, build those containers where we can feel the feelings and be held in those feelings. By yourselves, by the ritual by divine arguably you don't have to bring divine in there but i like to and if you're doing it with others by others witnessing you so that's the suggested ritual for the week i hope it helps remember i am here i have a lot of offerings that i'm putting out there right now in person i have a collaboration with an amazing place called riverbank la that we're meeting and doing things like new moon circles soul mapping really fun, really cool stuff. And then I offer, you know, I'm offering spiritual care circles online as well as in-person bookings, like one-on-one work. I'm offering a new thing that I'm really excited about. It's basically the mystical Jewish connection that you have. So you don't have to be Jewish to do this, but if like you're curious, your your birthday, what does that mean in the Hebrew calendar astrologically? And Additionally, if you are Jewish, you can provide your Hebrew name. I can, like, give you a whole, like, workup of, like, what that looks like. So if you're someone that's, like, into astrology and you also want to kind of understand the Jewish lens of that, it's not the same astrological system at all. It's different. I'd, like, be honored to provide that. So um, you could check all those offerings out on my LinkedIn bio page on Instagram and on my website, The theritual.house. And I hope you have a week filled with love and care and rituals that contain all of it. All right. Thanks for being here. Sending love. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we want to hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritualhouse. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.